This week on Punch Mountain, it's the most dangerous game all over again, but this time with a lot less production value and a script that's deli thin. Grab your favorite pair of cutoffs because we're watching Deadly Prey. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake, and I am joined, as always, by David Hotta. David! How the, how the hell are you, David? Nervous and excited, really, is, is the way to put it. Uh, nervous and excited to do this episode and talk about Deadly Prey for the next hour and a half. This might be an episode where we talk... The runtime of the episode might exceed the runtime of the movie. Yeah, for a couple reasons. Because it's a short movie and because I feel like we're going to have some pretty rambling discussions if we let ourselves. We'll see. We might just cut it. We just might just cut straight to the end. And then the rest of the episode will be uh, tips for Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I don't know why, but that's what it's going to... It doesn't make... I don't... Honestly, I've never played it. I was more of just a Sonic 1. Oh, I thought it was tips for renting Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I was like, it seems pretty easy, Mac. I don't know why you're making this harder. See, David, this confusion right here, I think a lot of people have the same discussion. So, I mean, it seems like this podcast is necessary. No, we're going to talk about Deadly Prey, uh, which came out in when? 1987. 1987, it hit the uh, video shelves. There was no release on this one. It went right to right to Randall's. Yeah, if you're looking for a copy of this movie, you can find one on YouTube for free with ads, maybe? I don't know. But there's, I think there's a couple different versions. There's a few, yeah. You'll see that hour 25 runtime and know you found the right file. I also watched the the file that you sent me, which I think was about uh, 240p. There might be someone out there who's like, oh, you didn't see this in theaters? Well, then how can you even fully experience the majesty of, of Deadly Prey? Or the fact that I watched The Raid 2 on Tubi or something like that, where there's commercial breaks. Someone might say, like, well, I, you, did you even experience the movie how it's supposed to be experienced it's like well no i guess i did not but that doesn't matter because it's not mac mac blake's action mountain this is punch mountain guys and gals and non-binaries so it's like it's it's not my personal opinion is the ranking so there you go yeah and also if someone has a problem with how we watch this well guess what this is a direct-to-video movie we pretty much watched it as close as we can get it how it was originally intended whoa david you're full of deadly prey energy right now coming at the audience like that I want to power pose my silhouette right now. That's uh, that's how deadly prey I am right now. What made you choose this movie? Because I welcome the chaos, Mac. No, I, I think a lot of reasons, actually. But the most relevant to this show is I kind of wanted to test the strike zone of this show. You know, so far they've been pretty... Nothing too surprising. I guess Charlie's Angels, maybe. But even that was kind of testing the strike zone. But, you know, I kind of wanted to see... How we would react to a movie that has some some challenges to it, you know, whether it's budgetary challenges, whether it's, you know, we don't recognize any of the actors, whether there's some problematic aspects to the script. I wanted to see how the mountain would judge those, how the mountain would react to that, because, you know, we're we're five episodes into an infinite list of action movies. Uh, so I kind of want to get a sense Wait, hold of, on, of an infinite. Oh no! Oh no! What did I sign up for here? <laughs> this is our Faustian bargain. We'll get the riches. We'll get that Patreon gold, but we're stuck into a lifetime contract. But yeah, there's that reason. It. it I kind of wanted it to serve as a litmus test to see what sort of movies, you know, how how they do, you know, different types of movies. But also, I, I wanted to do this for personal reasons because I rather enjoy this movie. Maybe not as an action movie, as I as I learned after watching it again. But I hold this movie kind of close to my heart because 
it's a discovery. It, it sort of feels like it feels like a movie that not a lot of people talk about or know about. So I tend to defend it a little more than than I would a movie that everybody knows. So kind of like what we did with Charlie's Angels last week, where if we're talking about it for an hour and a half in mostly positive terms, that's a victory to me. This thing's this thing could very easily end up below Chappie, if I'm being perfectly honest. But I do have some nice things to say about it, and I'm looking forward to doing it over the next hour and a half. No, I mean, you bring up some good points there, because this movie, I mean, like, we watched Charlie's Angels last episode, and that movie was not critically well-received. But you and I both thought it was, like, fun. This is the first, like, bad, kind of cheesy, mockable movie that we've done. And because of that, it kind of, it'll bring up some talk about, like, what, you know, makes a good action movie. You know, is it okay that the plot doesn't make sense, you know, as long as we're having fun? I mean, that's, we'll get into that later. But yeah, Deadly Prey. I mean, I was digging this movie at first. I was like, man, this is so bad, it's good. And then, oh, this is so bad, it's great. And then later, oh, it's so bad, it's just bad. <laughs> I will say this. If you were a fan of characters, like, suddenly, like, a muzzle of a gun enters a frame, and then all of a sudden the character's been standing right behind another one the whole time, this is the movie for you. This is the ultimate advertisement for camouflage, because it seems to work so well that someone could be standing right next to you, and you'll never see them. I don't know what kind of special boots they're wearing or what kind of snap any twig and it'll be silence of the mouse kind of promise they make, but they're, they're working. This is also our second hunting people for sport movie, although they're not really hunting people for sport in this. They're kind of hunting people for training. There's a reason why they're doing it. They're, they're training to be the ultimate mercenary team in the world. It's not for sport. Come on, Mac. Yeah, you could almost say that they're hunting people for exercise in a, in a way, <laughs> which where's that orange theory? Blood orange theory. Where's that? Oh, there we go. I like this a lot. But yeah, you know, getting back to your, your point about this is a very mockable movie. And again, I was on a soapbox last week. I'll be on a little bit of a soapbox this week because, you know, I sort of wanted to use this show in general, but this episode specifically as a way to push back against the notion of like good, bad movies or movies that are so bad they're good. Because with this movie in particular, it's no longer on Amazon Prime, for example, but when you look this up, one of the first results that comes up is the riff tracks for Deadly Prey. And that kind of bums me out a little bit because I happen to enjoy this movie genuinely. Not because it's a solid movie, not because it's an awesome script and well you know, performed or anything like that, but because you're watching these people try. You're watching these people who have a very low ceiling on their talent and their ability make as much as they can, make the most that they can. So there's something very admirable about that. So to know that there is something out there that presents this movie in the context of, hey, let's maybe ridicule this when nobody's really had a chance to, to absorb it and take it in on its own merits. You know, movie mocking in general tends to work when it's either a movie that you would never see otherwise, like a Manos Hands of Fate, or it's a movie that you know really well that kind of, it can bear the brunt of having the piss taken out of it, like a Jaws or something like that. This one bums me out that people are going to watch this first as a riff tracks. So I kind of wanted to put this out there. I'm stepping off my soapbox right now just to give it an opportunity to be considered as, as a movie on its own merits. I hear what you're saying. It doesn't bum me out as much because I think this is this is choice riff tracks material. No, and, and I don't want to be like too overprotective of this thing. Like I, 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 I'll concede that, look, if you watch this movie and you decide, hey, there's a lot of space for jokes here, have at it. But I don't know. Give, give this movie a fair shake. It's, that's, my, uh, that's my cause celeb. Uh, forget homelessness. Forget uh, gun control. I just want this movie to get a fair shake, dude. David, before we check in on 
Colonel Hogan building an elite team of mercenaries 75 miles southeast of Los Angeles. Let's check in on an elite team of friends, me and you, David. Friendship chicken. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right, Mac. Very nervous energy around here this week for a, a number of reasons. Fall, the weather, this episode. I'm really looking forward to the weekend, and it's only Tuesday when we're recording this. So uh, a stellar five-star week going on so far. Because of daylight savings time, I'm actually recording this on a Wednesday, David. Oh, jeepers. Okay, well, aloha to you, sir. Oh, thank you. That means love, I believe, and goodbye and hello. Okay. That's right. Goodbye, I love you. Uh, how are you, Mac Blake? I'm good, David. As everyone knows, I'm an excellent father, and he is, he's three years old, and we had to take him today to get his COVID booster. Oh, okay. And like, there's a lot of tough things about uh, having a kid. Number one, of course, is I had to watch the movie We Can Be Heroes a lot by Robert Rodriguez because he likes that one, and that movie is terrible. Oh, no. But the toughest thing is is when your kid is in pain and you just can't do anything about it. and so. I knew he was going to get stuck by this needle, and I knew he was going to realize it ahead of time. And just the thought of that bothered me all day. And so as we went to, I don't want to give them an endorsement here, because they haven't really, they haven't ponied up. We're still in negotiations. But we, we took them to our local Walgreens. Mm. And because I didn't want, yeah, because I'm trying to put a little sugar in with the medicine. I was like, oh, you, you, want, you want something? I'll buy you something. She's like, uh, here's a toy. Stop crying. And Walgreens has really shitty toys. You know what I mean? Walgreens has that kind of like deadbeat dad, 5 a.m. Christmas morning, like, oh, it's Christmas? Fuck, I gotta fucking buy some gifts for this kid I never see. And then just like loading up on squishables or something like that. Come on, you like GI military? They do have a weird selection of like Marvel action figures and stuff. Like, oh, cool, dad, a Star Wars up. Oh, it's a Rand. <laughs> I don't remember his fucking name. Timothy Olaf. Dash Randar? <laughs> Dash Randar. <laughs> oh, no, it's... um. Behind on his alimony, Peter B. Parker from Enter the Spider-Verse. Okay, that's uh, that's something. David, we're going in. Okay, David, so what is your history with this movie, Deadly Prey? You've seen this before? I've seen this quite a few times. Yeah, starting in 2013 was when I was first introduced to this. It happened in Toronto, Canada, when we happened to be up there, you and me and a few others. So while I was in Toronto, I stumbled across a couple of video stores. One of them happened to be a place called Eyesore Cinema, E-Y-E-S-O-R-E. -E. It felt more like a curated experience, like it focused more on genre movies. It, didn't, it wasn't there to carry every movie. It was just there to kind of carry movies it liked. And one of those movies that the, the guy working there recommended was Deadly Prey, because around this time, like 2013, it felt like everyone was searching for the next great terrible movie. The Room had had its moment. Uh, Birdemic had come out a few years ago. Drafthouse Films had picked up the rights to the Miami Connection, stuff like that. And this one was recommended to me. And I went home and watched it. And like I said at the, at the top, it was kind of like, oh, this isn't garbage at all. I really, really like this. I, I liked it a lot more. And so from then on, I just kind of became a champion for it. So, which is why it ended up on episode five of an action podcast. But yeah, I knew nothing about this movie. In fact, again, classic me, I confused it with another one. Like, I thought aliens were going to show up in this thing. And then I was like, wait, hold on a second. Like, till about 30 minutes in, I was like, wait, I don't think it was an alien movie. And I was confusing it with Deadly Spawn. Oh, Mac. Yeah. But I know I knew nothing about this movie. I mean, I knew uh, who, not Troy McClure, Troy Donahue is, who shows up in it. But then when I was looking it up, the Wikipedia a little light on this thing. But it did mention the director also wrote and directed Aerobicide about somebody who's killing aerobics enthusiasts. 
which is more of a slasher movie, according to the thing, which really bummed me out because I was like, oh, man, let's do a robicide next. But no, it uh... it's a really good and fun slasher movie. And in fact, it's also known as Killer Workout. But I'm glad you brought that up because the Wikipedia even mentions David A. Pryor, the director, took the money from this movie to finance his production company and make Deadly Prey, which is funny because immediately watching this movie, you're like, oh, this was just made by like his fitness buddies. Like he went to President and First Lady and said, I'm making a movie. And everybody just kind of followed him out. Well, his fitness buddies are very fit. I got to say, good buddies for this action movie thing. So, David, let's give people a little bit of kind of an overview here. Can you... Can you read the description that's on the back of the box, please? You bet I could. Yeah, sure thing. Oh, my okay. God. That is a thick. Is that a VHS? Oh, uh, well, yeah. Well, it's the case. The case is all denim. It's, uh, see, like you pull the tape out, it's got a little cutoffs. Oh, look at that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Mike Danton has been called the most perfect killer ever. He earned the title in Vietnam, and now he'll have to prove it again. But this time, Danton has only his bare hands for weapons. He's up against not only a fully outfitted army of bulletthirsty mercenaries, but also the very man who taught him all he knows. Colonel John Hogan, the highest decorated man in the U.S. Special Forces, is a professional soldier discharged from the army for his excessive and wanton violence. Now he and his crazed team hire out to the highest bidder. Okay, that surely is the end of the description. Oh, still sorry, more, still keep more. going. Innocent people are being snatched for use as live targets by Hogan's trained killers at his secret boot camp just 75 miles south of Los Angeles. This time, Hogan's henchmen have seized the wrong runner. And that's the probably the end. Of, oh, no. And sorry. now, teacher and student face off again to the death. 1987-87 minutes directed by David A. Pryor. Rated R. That description, I'd say, is a little... It's it's not wrong. I'd say this is more robust than the movie itself. I think it kind of goes in a greater depth and detail than the actual script that was made into a movie. It lays groundwork that you do not get laid in the movie. Hold on. No, that's I think that's right. That tracks. Yeah, you're good. Okay, so this movie opens up, and the first thing we see is Action International Pictures Presents, which I got to tell you, instantly, right away, huge regret we didn't name the podcast Action International Pictures. Oh, wait, is it Action International or International Action? It's Action International. Okay, I thought so. Sorry, it's almost like a word salad. But yeah, the Action International pictures should have been the name of this podcast. We fucked up. Fade in, and there's some uh, piano music over the silhouette of a man, and he's walking along in the in the horizon, strikes a dynamic action pose in the middle of nowhere for no real reason. Uh, that's how this movie starts. Yeah, and it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. It felt a little bit like the musical Oklahoma to me. Like I just thought he was going I just thought if any moment the little silhouette was going to go, Oklahoma, uh, then that would have been fitting. But we go from that to the uh, to the opening credits. See all the big names in this movie: Cameron Mitchell, top bill, Troy Donahue, uh, and we see uh, those credits over some uh, some faceless tank top models, and they're gearing up for something. Yeah, it's almost quaint because it sounds like they were actually recording the real audio of these guns being put together. And, you know, it's just like kind of underwhelming because if you watch any movie today of people like gearing up or assembling a gun, it's like click, 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 it's just like all these like super sounds. And this one was just like little tiny snaps as somebody slides a clip into place. It was like, oh, okay. So, you know, you're probably wondering, oh, what are these people gearing up for? What's happening? Well, they're on a hunt, folks. These buff mercenaries are hunting some not-so-deadly prey. This paunchy Alfred Merlina type, 
Kind of a an Artie Lang a little bit maybe I think Artie Lang's uh, that's a I don't know if he, I'd go so far as to say Artie Lang. Uh, he's being chased through the uh, through the jungle or through the woods. So this guy who's running away, you know, there's no way he's gonna outrun these mercenaries, but he does hit one over the head with a rock, and then is like, "Yeah, what now, you son of a bitch," or something like that. And then <laughs> the other mercenaries catch up, and they're shooting at him. Which I think this is why these guys need practice. They can't hit shit in this fucking movie. It's like stormtrooper level firing. Yeah, not the broadside of a barn. They're like feet away and they're missing this guy. They do manage to throw a grenade pretty close to him and it does knock him over, but he gets right back up. Guys, we need to we need to remember to bring the real grenades next time. These are just, like, <laughs> you know, the fully work in this movie, the sound work or whatever, the sound effects, they kind of, they leave something to be desired. However, David, and this dude falls. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna put the sound effect um, here in the. I don't want to look. I don't get used to this. All right, I'm not gonna put audio drops for movies in every fucking episode. But I do want to put the sound of. This is the sound of this dude falling on dirt. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's peanuts level. Yeah, like uh, Charlie Brown just got knocked off the mound. And it's just this like bag of laundry, like Troof. yeah. I feel like a, a wagon got knocked over a cliff or something. They kill the not so deadly prey. The uh, gang of um, mercenaries here, led by Thornton Fritz Matthews, right? Who I don't think we learn his name until a little bit later. Thornton, you know, budget Rambo, uh, long hair, super muscles, and wearing some sick aviators. I don't know if they're aviators. They're definitely some dark sunglasses. Total badass. Okay, this guy's a t- TBA. So he walks up to the soldier who got like knocked out, and he's like, "I, I took my weapon, but it won't happen again." He says, "Uh, it, it's it's not going to happen again." And Thornton says, "I know," and then just gives him the old one punch. It's like though his form when punching this guy, it's like you know how Jerry West is the logo for the NBA. Uh huh. I feel like Thornton would be the logo for like a punching league, not boxing. I understand the difference, but just like <laughs> trading punches, like a punch league. It's it's really great. And Thornton shoots him dead. Yeah. You get the idea. This is an elite squad of military. There's no room for failure, David, right? Because you do, you fuck up once. Like you let this prey who's even, he's not very deadly prey, right? Because they killed him. He's a very dead prey. You let this very dead prey take your weapon. You're out of here. And so I thought that's what that one punch was. Like, I know, punch. But then he's like, no, I'm not stopping here. While you're on the ground, I'll slow, I'm not slowly, but at a very relaxed pace, pulls out his gun and shoots this dude. And I thought that was really funny. And I, this is my first Markout moment. Very cool. I'm very happy for you. I'm very excited to catch up. So we go from there to a tent out in the middle of some base camp where Sybil, played by Don Abraham, we don't learn that name until much later either. She introduces Colonel John Hogan, played by David Campbell, to some new recruits, including a particularly feisty one named Cooper, played by William Zip, a.k.a. Billy Zips. William Zip, a.k.a. Billy Zips. I feel like Billy Zips, if you are designing a beat-em-up style game like Streets of Rage or Final Fight, Billy Zips is definitely like the name of one of those characters that like you have to beat up uh, every five minutes. So they're asking all these new recruits, well, you know, this ain't no picnic. You know, we're a, we're a group of mercenaries. Why do you want to do this? And everybody's like, money, money, money. Cooper says he wants to do it for the fun. So I guess he's heard the word is out on this uh, hunting people for mercenary sport. Hogan likes the cut of his jib. He's like, yeah, you're in. Well, back it up real quick, David. So these dudes are dressed kind of like weekend warrior types, right? Hogan, you know, he's in fatigues. He might, for a second, I was like, oh, is this a legit military operation? Although 
I think in the military you have to like go to boot camp or something. You don't just walk into a tent and be like, give me some money. Sybil, however, is wearing jorts and I believe a tank top and a lot of legs showing here. So right away, the energy of this outfit is uh, it's a little Coors Light, I'll say that, <laughs> or something. I don't know. Maybe Coors Light is a little bit too respectful for that. It's a little bit uh, natural light kind of thing. She's dressed like she should be on the cover of this movie, if that makes sense. Like It's a very VHS babe sort of gator bait quality to what she's wearing. So Hogan's, you know, he's, he's meeting with these recruits. He tells them. This isn't the Army. This isn't the Navy. This isn't the Marine Corps. And then he keeps right on talking. So I guess we're left to assume that this is the Air Force, Mac. I guess is what, what we're joining here. Hogan has a real assistant coach for college football team energy. You know what I'm, like, okay. I, you know what I'm talking about? Like whenever they cover a college football team, and they're like, oh, the, the players really love Coach Hogan. And they just so, show some guy on the sidelines like physically assaulting his own players. And they're like, oh, they love his energy. Yeah, just like beat-faced with like an Under Armour <laughs> yeah. shirt that's two sizes too tight. Yeah. But David, he gives a little speech here. And it's such a good speech. I'd like to dramatically interpret it for you. Oh, all right. Because David, the speech is amazing. And, and it had a feel of like somebody pulling it out of their fucking ass. Because there's a little bit of repeat language here. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'm ready. Now, I don't know what you men heard about this organization. But if you think it's going to be an easy score, you better walk out of here while you still can. Colonel Hogan. Shut up. Now, this ain't the Army. It ain't the Navy. It ain't the Marine Corps. You better get that straight, because I'm one hell of a lot meaner than any of them. Now, I know you men are good. What? That's why you're here. But you're not good enough. Not yet. If you want to be part of this outfit, you got to be the very best at what you do. And what is that? You prove that to me, you'll be the highest paid mercenaries anywhere. You don't, you'll die right here. I don't have any use for you. Your training will start in the morning. I suggest you get plenty of rest. You're going to need it. We don't play games here. When we train, it's for real. That's it. <laughs> that's a lot of talking <laughs> there's, and there's a lot of like heading for the door energy where you're like he's done no all right i guess i'll stay he's nope all right i'm still here but these dudes were just like brought in this tent like 30 seconds ago and he's like i can tell you guys are good it's like what no, you fucking can't. <laughs> i can tell by the cut of your jeans that you're good and then Thornton comes back in and he's like the runner took out one of our men which is not true because Thornton was the guy who shot him dead and so Colonel Hogan says, get another runner then. Get me a mean one. And I'm not quite sure what that means. So hopefully this movie explains what a, what a mean one looks like. Cut to Thornton in his unmarked van, uh, scouring the neighborhoods of Los Angeles, presumably. Meanwhile, muscle enthusiast and mullet owner Mike Danton, played by Ted Pryor, uh, is being awakened in his waterbed by his wife, Jamie, curiously spelled J-A-I-M-Y, played by Suzanne Tara. This waterbed felt a little dangerous. It had a lot of give. Like... How can you get a comfortable night's sleep on this thing? No, waterbeds were not some amazing, like, secret of the ancients we just forgot about. Like, the recipe was lost to time and we're sending, this, you know, people deep into the darkest heart of Tallahassee, Florida to find it. No, waterbeds are terrible for your fucking back. And so here's one thing I know about Mike Dan. Just punch him in his lower back and he's going to fold like a fucking house of cards. But Ted Pryor, here's what we know about him. This dude's buff, right? He's handsome and he's got a sick-ass mullet. Former Playgirl centerfold Ted Pryor? You bet he is. And I'll tell you what, this this has bothered me since the first time I saw it, and I wanted to kind of take this opportunity to, to share it with you and, and and confirm that I'm not crazy. Mac Blake, does Ted Pryor look like Christian Bale to you? He looks like a Christian Bale character, and there are times when he also sounds a little bit like a Christian Bale voice. He even talks like him. Like, he'll kind of have, like, the way his tongue interacts with his upper palate, God help me for saying stuff like that. But, like, he, he has, like, his mouth shapes like Christian Bale. Ooh, I have to rewatch that. 
I'll have to rewatch for that because Christian Bale definitely does have a mouth shape. Christian Bale, my favorite Batman, but does Christian Bale have the best Batman mouth? No. He does not have the sweet pillow lips of one Mr. Val Kilmer, I gotta say, or even uh, Michael Keaton. He gets up for the morning, uh, gets himself ready in a bathroom that isn't quite disgusting, but it's like a, a very affordable motel bathroom. And then he's right off to the kitchen where they've placed a camera on the on top of the cabinet uh, because that's the only place they could fit a camera. And then his wife goes something about like, take out the trash. But the way she pulls up the trash, as if these two giant bags were like right next, like basically on his feet. It feels like they're doing a commercial for trash. Like, don't forget these, honey. Oh, so Jamie hands him the garbage. He's like, you got uh, something to do. So he's got to go take the garbage out. Meanwhile, Thornton and crew, we see them still cruising for some rough trade in their windowless van. They spot Dan in his little cutoffs and decide he looks like fun. So they abduct him. And Jamie runs to the fence and catches the van right as it pulls away with, with her husband, Mike. I just want to know what makes him look like fun. Was it the cutoffs or was it the baby soft sweatshirt? Like, why did they look at him and go, this guy's a fun time? I had to rewind this to see, rewind it. <laughs> I had to click earlier in the file <laughs> to see if he was wearing cutoffs. Because I thought he was wearing like some sleep shorts or something. Because these cutoffs, he's just poured into them. Cut back to mysterious training location. And we see a dude in a suit played by TV's Troy Donahue. You might remember him from such films as this one. Uh, his character is Don Michelson, and he stops by the office tent to chew out Hogan. Because Hogan needs three months to get this team ready. But Michelson's like, I'll give you one. Here's the thing, though. What does he need time for? It's just, hey, go kill people. That's really, I mean, go kill people better. Go kill people faster. I don't know what he needs more time for. So now that we've seen the movie, you realize... He needs time to whip this group of mercenaries into shape. That way they could start hiring them out as like, you know, uh, private security forces or whatever, to, you know, countries and, and help uh, topple some legitimately elected governments that the U.S. doesn't like. However, at the time, David, I was still confused. So I was like, oh, they need him to train him to fight aliens. Like I still was not. <laughs> I was watching my own movie at this point. I got to be honest with you. The dialogue here is kind of bad. But then Michelson delivers this bombshell. You're supposed to be the best at what you do. Do it better. I thought I was like, hell yeah, that line rules. <laughs> Which, here's, so here's the thing. The dialogue, the first time we meet Hogan, it's like so stupid that I was like, oh man, oh, David, we might have a problem on our hands here because I'm having too much fun of this movie. And if this movie, which is on paper bad, if this movie, if I am enjoying it this much, is this going to end up top of the map? Like, what? Ma I just was like, oh, this is chaos. This is going to be chaos. <laughs> but then during this scene, I was like, okay, this dialogue sucks now. All right, maybe this movie is just bad. I'm, I'm okay with it. But then he delivers that. You're supposed to be the best way you do. Do it better line. And I was like, oh, damn, we're back on board. Like, we're back on top. <laughs> so I, I think we kind of evened out here to where I'm now just enjoying the movie, not putting on too much. But look, uh, he's got to train these troops. Well, good news. He's got a new runner. They're not playing paintball here. They want to train using a real human as prey. And so we see that real human. It's, it's Danton, right? The guy they just captured, our hero. He is still wearing his cutoffs, but he is, that's it now. They took off his, his shirt and he's very oiled up, which I got to say, the last, like, not so deadly prey runner, he was wearing like a, like a button up shirt and some pants. Sure, they were ripped. But this Danton guy, they're like, no, let's, let's oil this dude up. Weird choice. They let Alfred Molina keep a steak and ale outfit from uh, when he got off work. But this guy, there, it, it almost feels like, you know, there's certain parts of this movie where it feels like they got a little crush on Danton. 
And I think this was just an opportunity to like, let's get that sweatshirt off him. Let's see what we got uh, under the hood. So these bloodthirsty mercenaries, right? They got this guy, Din, and they're like, ha we're going to hunt you for sport, bitch. And so they go up to him like, you better run. So David, imagine if you were pulled into a windowless van, you were taken to a undisclosed location and people were like, we're going to hunt you for fucking sport. You'd be pretty freaked out, right? Oh, the second they take my shirt off, I'm at their mercy. I don't want this. Thank God I'm wearing my cutoffs is what I would say out loud. As soon as they're like, Dan, we're going to hunt you for sport or whatever, Dan's response just stares him at the, right in the eye and he goes, you're going to die. David, full disclosure, I was watching this movie with some sick 80 shades on, which, you know, sunglasses, maybe not the best way to watch a movie on your computer indoors. But as soon as Dan said, you're going to die, I had to tip my shades, David. And I looked over the top of those tip shades and I was like, who are you, Danton? Yeah, I had to stop and say, boom, boom, boom. Who is this guy? I got to know. <laughs> so they start hunting him for sport. But guess what? Danton is good. He's got the goods, right? Dan begins killing these dudes one by one, including a moment where he hits a guy with this cartoonishly big log. David, are you familiar with the character Bam Bam from the Flintstones? I sure am, It was yeah. that same like, body to size of weapon ratio. <laughs> but he's just like, also, the way he swung this thing, I don't know what they made it out of uh, styrofoam, but it was it was great. I thought it was real funny. Just swinging this giant ham hock of wood. <laughs> yeah. Might as well kill him with the uh, brontosaurus ribs at this point. So yeah, one by one, he, he's taking them all out. He, he has enough time to set up traps, I guess. And then he grabs one guy and he picks him up. And my first mark out moment is when he picks up a guy and then it's a quick cut to a dummy getting rammed into a tree. Mac, you know I'm a sucker for dummy work in movies. This was, uh, I lost my mind at this. Why did they use a dummy there? Because this guy, what's his name, Ted Pryor? Ted Pryor, yeah. Ted Pryor, he's got the guns. He could have easily picked up a, a slender troop. Yeah, I think I think they wanted to add to the tall tale legacy of this guy where he's just throwing guys around like literal rag dolls. But man, I loved it. It, it was the first time... That I thought, could we make this movie? Like, it feels like we've done videos in the past where, like, we sort of faked a lot of the action and made it work. And and this sparked a, a youthful enthusiasm in me that uh, carried me throughout the movie. Yeah, if you're like a bunch of kids, like, oh, let's make our own movies or whatever, film it on our iPhone, watch Deadly Prey first. And you'll, I feel like you'll be like, we can do better than this. So we can steal some ideas from them. So at some point, I don't know, I think it's here, it might be elsewhere. We cut back to Hogan's tent where he's drinking an, a bottle of New York seltzer. It's like very center frame. And then he he drinks it, and then Sybil comes over, and she takes a, a pull off of it as well. And I don't even remember what they're talking about. I just remember it being like, oh, New York seltzer. Oh, that's the, that's the thing that refreshes, huh? Hmm. Well, it, it's funny you mentioned that because as we're watching the movie, I said out loud, oh, I miss New York seltzer because I live in a city without them, and uh, it's been years since I've had one, and uh, it's my favorite beverage. So in the process of taking down these people one by one, Danton corners one of the mercenaries and holds a knife to his throat to get some information from him about what's going on. This is where we find out that uh, that these are, are, are war games being run by Hogan. Wait, John Hogan? I know that dude. It's like, oh, some guy named Hogan. John Hogan? Yeah, I, I suppose so, sure. Which is funny because he was like, John Hogan? Because the guy easily could have been like, I didn't catch his first name. And also, what if it was like, no, it's Brett Hogan. And it's like, all right, you're free to go. Like, wh where does this go from here? But yeah, we find out a lot of information. We find out that this is taking place 75 miles southeast of LA. So Mac, if you uh, hit to Google Maps, uh, you'll find out that this is taking place in either Temecula or Oceanside. I'll tell you what, there's a moment here when he's interrogating the guy up against the tree. He even growls like Bale Batman. Like this, 
are we sure this isn't Christian Bale early on? I know he was doing Empire of the Sun around this time, but maybe he took like some growth serum. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past this movie to introduce the concept of growth serum, David. That would have been uh, a really cool thing where Hogan later is like, you can't defeat me, deadly prey. And he drinks a shrinking potion. Ah, oh, save some of it for the sequel, I guess. So Danton, he's got the knife still at the mercenary's throat. He's questioning him and he asks him something. And the mercenary's like, I don't know. And then Dan goes, wrong answer which look david these guys don't know they're in action movies but if you say something and then a guy who could easily kill you he's in a position to kill you says something like buh, buh, buh. you're about to get murdered right that that cadence says i'm gonna shoot you oh yeah that's sort of like uh 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 like shame 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 yeah that cadence is is death every single time but at that moment he, he should have been like oh change my answer but he doesn't he survives long enough and he's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to hang out with these guys. I don't want to do this anymore. And then Dan goes, bad timing. And then he kills him. Ah, oh, you don't get two, you don't get two chances. You know what I mean? The fact that he survived one pre-kill line and then he didn't take advantage of it. You can't do that in an action movie. You know what I mean? You know what? But I, I you say that, but coming up in the movie, there's going to be a moment where where some people have to give an answer, and and one of them tells the truth and still gets killed. So there's no there's no way there's no winning with this movie. That's true, David. This movie keeps you on your feet. You don't know who to trust when deadly prays around. <laughs> How does that stop? How does, does that happen? Okay, so one of the mercenaries goes back to base, right? That's right. Yeah. So we cut back to a Grand Central Station, as I'm referring to it at this point. Because, man, at least a good two thirds of the action in this movie takes place in this goddamn tent. So one of the mercs show, uh, comes back to inform Hogan that, that Danton has his weapons. So what are you going to do? When, when someone comes back to your tent, your Hogan, someone's like, hey, uh, this guy's out there. He got my weapons. What are, you, what are you doing, Mac? Ooh, David, we've already established failure is not an option. So if my personal uh, human weapon, Thornton, is there, Thornton, you got to teach this guy a lesson. And the only thing this, the only, the only lesson I'm interested in teaching is a sweet roundhouse kick to the face. And a, a nice little neck snap to kill him. But here's the thing with this guy. Like, does he think he's going to get rewarded for honesty? Does he think he's like, he comes back to the base, he's like, Danton took my weapons. All right, you little scamp. Go get some ice cream. Like, no, you lose your weapons. You're done. Like, loser leaves town. You never come back. After this little bit, uh, we cut to Jamie at home, who's calling her daddy for help. There's some little tinkling piano music, which was helpful because I had my head down writing notes. And I was like, piano music? Something sweet is happening. So I look up, and sure enough, uh, Jamie's calling her papa. Daddy, come help me. My husband is gone. And I, oh, because Jamie witnessed his uh, vanning. At this point, you're like, wait, did she already call the cops? We'll discover that later on. Cut back to the woods. Dan is still just going sick house on all these dudes' asses. Danton is taking out the red shirts one by one. He does this really great turnaround. Like, there's this, there's a lot of, like, little low-budget movie touches that just work. There's a moment where he kind of turns around and reveals himself from out, out from behind some trees, which was really awesome. Uh, this is my second mark-out moment because... He sharpens, he fashions a uh, a long branch into a spear and throws a spear. So it's one of those shots where like we see Dan throwing the spear and then we whip pan over to the spear already glued to a guy's back and it's just sticking out. I marked out because it felt like something, again, I could do. It felt like a, a movie we could make and there was something very, very cute and novel about that. So the spear, David, that's all that Dan has. He's just armed with a spear mm -hmm. and he's, he's hiding and he waits till like seven, eight soldiers go marching by each one with an assault rifle so if i only have a spear and i see a bunch of dudes with rifles i'm waiting until they are gone but this dude he's got some brass ovaries man because he sees the marching and he's like you know what fuck it 
eight against one, eight rifles against one. I'm, I'm just, I'm going for the kill. And so the fact that he's like, he does not run away, that he's just attacking them. I was, I was impressed. Here's the other thing though. So David, do you remember back to the back of the box earlier in the podcast? Mm-hmm. Sure. So that description says, but this time Dan only has his bare hands for weapons. What that does not say is that it was by choice because he has so many opportunities to grab a weapon here. No, I, I'm with you all the way. And, and not only that, he has opportunities to grab shoes from any number of these people, but he's still, no, bare feet and cutoffs. That's the lifestyle for me. At some point, he's walking in like a, a stream, with, you know, to cover his tracks. But it's like, that's a, a, there could be some sharp, you don't know what's down there. Just uh, uh, tie some uh, tree bark around your feet or something. Yeah, you're a survivalist. You can't fashion some Tevas. Come on, Danton. So then we see he pulls this dude into... Uh, how would you describe this? It's a little Ewok hut. It's like this little thatch enclosure that uh, Ewoks live in. Yeah, it's like a cave made out of grass. And we go inside of it about nine times during this movie. Or there's just so many of them. But just a lot of like grass caves. Yeah, it's just very convenient places for people in this movie to hide. There's a part in particular... It never bothered me the previous times I've watched this, but for some reason it stuck with me where Danton's hiding in the Ewok hut. He reaches out as the soldiers are walking by, grabs one of them, and, and, and kills him. The guy never bothers to yell, never bothers to make a noise, never bothers to go, hey, or anything like that. It's just, hmm. Like, what kind of sociopath gets grabbed by a stranger, never makes a noise, and then complies in their own death where it's like, you're dead. I sure am. Yeah, you bet I am. But then also Danton, when he pulls him in, there's like a beat there where it's like, oh, are you going to say something? <laughs> like maybe the guy was like, yes, like, why did you pull me in here? But there's a, a beat where nothing happens. And then Dan goes, you're dead. And then he kills him, which it almost feels like Danton was like, oh, hold on. I was going to say something to you. <sighs> Cannot remember it. You're dead. I'll just kill you. Like it just seemed like he kind of forgot what he was doing. So we go from uh, from the Ewok hut. We go back to Jamie's house where we meet Jamie's father, and that's what he's credited as in the movie, played by Cameron Mitchell. We'll call him JF probably throughout the rest of this movie, and he he arrives to basically interrogate Jamie and just be very stern at her while he asks her what she knows. We find out that Jamie's father used to be a cop, right? He was on the force for 30 or 28 years, depending on the scene. And he's like, did you call the cops? And she's like, no, I didn't call the cops. No fucking cops, okay? There's one thing about this family, even though he was a cop, no fucking snitches. Cameron Mitchell in this movie is a revelation. He is a, the actor's actor. In this scene in particular, it feels like he's constantly looking for a reason to hit his scene partner. He's like, all right, Jamie, I want you to tell me everything you know about uh, what you saw. It was a van. What color van, Jamie? I need to know. It was green. Oh, what color green was it? Army, army green. What kind? Like, he just wants to smack her so bad. I was like, just... Like, go smack the mattress and come back and we'll shoot this again. Well, it somehow works because he browbeats the license plate number out of her memory. He's like, did you get your license plate number? And she's like, no. And he's like, think, think, Jamie. And he's like, she's like, I don't know. Eight is the first number. And he's like, what's the next one? And he's like, I don't know, D. And then like, just, <laughs> like, I don't know. And then regurgitates the entire license plate. And I guess it works because next time we see him, he's successfully tracked down this army base, which is in the middle of nowhere. But he, he's a, uh, he's an ex-cop. This guy's got, they know people. We cut back to Mercenary HQ. Now David is Hogan still sitting at his desk. No, he's out from behind the desk. Boy, is he ever. Because what's this dude doing? Oh, he is on the make. He is rounding second with Sybil. 
they're going to town on each other in a, in a very uh, chaste way, but then they're interrupted. Someone barges into the tent and tells them that uh, Danton's on the loose. Uh, so he's like, uh, Hogan, you know, zips up or pulls up or whatever. He's like, all right, let's go find this Danton guy, I guess. The way Sybil and Hogan are making out. David, is this a new love? How, how do you mean? Ex- expand on this, Mac. Do you think this was like they're already a couple and there's like, oh, man, the stress of this day. Uh, let's just give me your baby and giving her a little shoulder rub. And then he's like, ah, I appreciate you. And they just start making out. Or do you think it was some like uh, office from this is the first time they kissed, I guess. Or is this something that's, that's been going on or is this something that just started? This is an excellent question. and I'm glad you asked it. I'm glad you asked me. Uh, I think this is an old relationship, several years old. If this was a fresh relationship, I think they would have plowed through. Either they would have hidden somewhere and finished what they started, or they would have just kept going in front of the guy. Because there's something very exciting about office romances that are uh, new like that. So, David, you're thinking these people are on again, off again, and they just told themselves, like, look, we just we work better as I'm a colonel, you're the mercenary wrangler. Let's just not, let's keep it professional. Let's just stop fucking in this tent. And the next thing you know, they're chowing down on each other's faces. That's what you're saying? I'll do you one better. I think they've they've been married for dozens of years. I think they're very they're an old married couple. Oh, okay. So the guy comes in and he informs Hogan that uh, they're dead. They're all dead, right? That's right. It comes, man. I'll tell you what. No small parts with this guy. It's like they're dead. They're all dead. Every damn one of them. It's uh, it's great. Made the most of his of his time on screen. And then we see them like uh, they're they're looking at the bo- uh, bodies, or they're just looking at like a, a couple of people that got killed. I don't remember. But the camera, and you're like, where, where's Danton? He's like dealing out all this damage. Camera pans up, and there's Danton just hanging out in a tree. We've never talked about the music in this movie either, because oh, the music it slaps. <laughs> it's really great, like 80s synth with that little like dun dun yeah dun dun. It's really awesome in this moment in particular. Yeah, because they, uh, you know, Hogan and his men go out there. They find one of the corpses, I guess, and Hogan's like, I know this style. This is my style to the point where I was almost like, oh, come on. Think that you did it. Just have a moment where you were like, did I kill these guys? Oh, no, it's happening again. But no, he instantly realizes, oh, this is Danton. He's uh, apparently the only guy I ever taught this or survived. And then uh, he's like, I wonder where this Danton is. And then you just hear, bam, bam, bam. And then they pan up to him in the tree. It's, it's the best use of the music in the movie. Imagine you uh, had some laundry in a basket and you just dumped it out onto your bed or floor. That's how these bodies were laid. So for Hogan to be like, wait, this corpse making technique is familiar. This is, I know, this is my style. Like, it's just so funny. And the fact that he's like, hold on, the way these bodies are arranged, only one man can do this, me. And I only, this one man only taught it to one other man. Great stuff. Uh, what is Danton up to? I don't know, but we cut to him in a fist fight. What? Wait, how did he? Okay, we're we're fighting people. It doesn't matter. Yeah, he bounded down, I guess, or got catapulted down into the middle of a five-on-one. And the guys do my favorite thing in movies where they wait their turn. So it's one guy, and then Danton dispatches him, turns around to another guy, dispatches him, and he keeps going through the uh, through the group. When the mercenaries, when the new recruits, excuse me, showed up in the beginning of the movie, he's like, why are you guys here? And the first three were like, money, money. Third guy was like, same. Of course, just couldn't even, just say money. And the fourth guy, Cooper, was like, fun. So now, Cooper, it's his turn to attack Danton. He pulls out this really long knife. Dan grabs his arm and they're struggling. And then you see some recognition flash across Danton's face. He knows this dude. Yeah, apparently uh, Danton recognizes Cooper and Cooper recognizes Danton. They were in the war together. 
But Mac, you say you say that Cooper is out here hunting Danton. When he was back at the tent, he was told to start tomorrow. They were t- they told him to get some rest. This is a plot hole, Mac. This movie is unraveling in front of our eyes. I <laughs> see. Here's the thing, David. Do you remember his motivation for being in this mercenary? I think you actually say this, C. I think we've been saying it wrong this whole time. Oh, a mercenary group. Do you remember his motivation for being in the mercenary group? He was the one who said fun, yeah? Yeah. So I think he he found out the dudes were having fun. And they're like, you know what? Enough rest. I can't let these dudes have fun without me because I love fun so much. So that's why he he skipped his day off. He's, he clocked in a day early. But then Dan and Cooper recognize each other. And uh, they recognize each other from their time uh, fighting uh, over overseas. Yeah. And Cooper says... I haven't seen you since the time you took a bullet trying to save my life. Wow, that is a fucking sentence. That reminded me of the tombstone of uh, Royal Tenenbaum, where it says, <laughs> died tragically saving his family from the wreckage of a destroyed sinking battleship. Like, I thought that's what, it was a mouthful. I don't, wait a second, I haven't seen you since the time we took on those guys and we beat up those, t- just, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> Which you think you'd recognize a guy like that instantly, not just be like, wait a second, do I know you? David, you were talking about Thornton giving that dude the old one punch earlier on. Well, Danton, not to be outdone, he also has that knockout punch, right? He's just like, you know what? I'm I'm an action hero, so I just have that. I just know that skill to just put you to sleep with one punch, and that's what he gives Cooper. Night, night. So uh, we had some more kills here. Uh, Dan starts to see, keeps killing some dudes because he loves killing so much, including some amazing moments when we're some guy... Why does he bend down to the water? Is he just like washing his hands or taking a drink out of the stream? I think he's taking a drink from the stream, yeah. So the mercenary goes to take a drink from a stream, and then all of a sudden there's a flesh-colored blob in the water. It's Danton. And he jumps out and kills some dude. And then later on, there's, well, I'll get to that in a second. But what do you think of all this? Oh, no, you, we're, we're headed in the same place because uh, this is going to be my mark-out moment, too, this entire sequence, because there's no transitions to this. It's just one stunt after another or one, you know, one hidey spot after another. It's like it's like a jackass video where it's just, there's no context, there's no connective tissue. It's just this this supercut of one awesome thing after another. You know, it's actually pretty accurate there because it does seem feel like jackass a little bit. Like he could have looked right in the camera, and be like, "My name is Danton, and this is a leaf kill or something like that." <laughs> because he is this where he puts a gun on the ground. Yes, that's yeah. Right after the water is, it goes immediately to yeah. So you'd think that after he kills one of these mercenaries, he would just take their weapon and use it to kill the people. No, 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 no. Stop thinking like that, stupid. What he does is he takes the weapon, he leaves it on the ground in a pile of leaves. And so when a mercenary is like, "Hey, is this a, is this a weapon here in this pile of leaves?" Next thing you know, guess who's under the pile of leaves? It's fucking Danton. <laughs> he pops out of the leaves and stabs this dude. And I was, I don't know. It was just like, you. I knew it was going to happen. I knew he was going to pop out of those leaves. But the fact that he did, it's just so funny. I definitely, this is another mark out moment for me. It's, it's the way he does it too, because it really is just like, it is, it's such a mechanical setup. It's like, and just the growl with it too. It, it really is. It's fantastic work with such little time. So at one point, uh, like Thornton's leading the, the crew of the remaining mercenaries. And one guy has the brilliant idea to say, he he's hunting us after Dan's already up like twenty four to nothing. Like the game is already on. We we know the score. You don't really need to call it out like that. And so what does Thornton do? Shoots him for poor morale. Basically, he's like, <laughs> I don't need this kind of this attitude on the team, and shoots him dead. Yeah, seriously, the beatings will continue until morale improves. But when Thornton shoots him, he says, "Suck this!" <laughs> and <then> he <laughs> shoots him in the gut. Which David, 
I don't know how, how many times you've been shot in the gut. Me, several. That's not a s- quick death. No, it is not. That's days. Yeah, that's uh, that's the plot of Reservoir Dogs. Is that, <laughs> that dude is not dying quickly after being shot in the stomach. So Thornton's a real bastard here because he's like, suck this, die and suffer. Like, it just, just fucking sucks. He's also a real weasel because I'm pretty certain he's going to blame that on somebody else. So I, I wish some accountability would enter Thornton's life. But then some dude attacks Dan and gets the better of him a little bit and, like, dislocates his arm, right? Pulls his little shoulder bone out of his shoulder uh, socket pocket. I'm not a doctor. He hits him right in the socket pocket, and then he kind of uh, stands over Dan, and he's like, I'm going to take pleasure in gutting you, boy. And so as he uh, gets ready to stab him, here comes uh, here comes Dan pulling a stick out of just the, the ground and stabbing him right through the body with it. That's going to be my fourth mark out moment. He pulls out this stick, and you're like, Tom Sawyer wouldn't go hunting with this, or not hunting, he wouldn't go fishing <laughs> with this thing. Also, of course, Tom Sawyer is probably racist. The stick, however, it goes, like David just said, right through him like a knife through butter. And then the dude who gets stabbed, he's lying right on top of Danton in a very intimate death. The fresh corpse, his mouth is on Danton's cheek and like blood is like pouring on Danton's, like down his face. It was like, oh, do you, do you regret living now? Like it just was, a, it was a lot. It felt like a, a kill that we would see in a McBain movie. Like, stick with it or something like that. So Hogan and his gang of people, they can't find him. And they're like, we'll camp out here for the night. You Just go back to your fucking ba-. Whatever. They decide that they're going to set up a small camp, right? Yeah, setting up a smaller camp closer to their actual camp. As Danton tries to, tries to lead them deeper into the woods. I, I like that Hogan at least had the smarts to be like, no, no, no. I know what he's doing. He's he's trying to give us give himself a home court advantage by luring us there. We're going to set up camp just outside the perimeter and get the jump on him in the morning. So right when they decide to call it a night, Thornton, the number one thug, says to his boss Hogan, he goes, let me go after him. What? What do you think we were doing this whole time? What were you, we were, this was when we were going after him. Oh, if I was Hogan, I'd be like, performance review, we're doing it right now because that is unacceptable. Oh my God. Right after that, though, is uh, a Sybil gets in his ear. They're setting up camp and she's like, we can't just let him get away. Yeah, I know. We're still in hot pursuit of him. We're just resting right now. Get off my ass about this. Hogan's like, I know this dude. I know what he likes. Right now he's scrounging around for some food or something. And then we cut to Dan and he's doing just that. Looking at the forest floor, trying to find some nuts or something to eat. But then he finds, I thought, was, I couldn't tell if it was a snake. You think it was a worm? Not only was it a worm, it was a real worm. He was actually eating worms in that scene. Yeah, he legit eats a worm. Well, the reason I thought it was a snake is because I think he bites the head off of it. He does chew it. Like, he chews it in such a way that you very easily think it's a gummy worm, where he's kind of, he's making too much of a show of it. But no, it was an actual goddamn worm that he bit. He spits in his hand, and like, I guess he's cleaning the worm. It really looks like he's stroking off that worm before he eats it. Mm -hmm. But then, right as he eats the worm, he sees, ah, delicious rat. What am I doing eating this fucking worm? So we we cut back to the, the base camp. You know, there's little temporary night camp and they're just having a little cookout i guess they're just like well you know what work hard play hard let's have a few beers and enjoy the night and hogan has a little monologue here because uh, sybil's kind of like what's wrong probably me but what's wrong and and hogan has a little monologue about like danton's the best and the military screwed him over and now this is his chance to show them all and it's it's pretty impressive in a sense because it's all one take it never breaks away. He never hesitates or, you know, or, you know, fumbles in his delivery, anything like that. So from an acting standpoint, there's something kind of impressive about it. But then it's just like, what are we supposed to feel about this guy? Like, it's sort of like 
poor me. How come nobody loves my poor little mercenary group? <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Like, what am I getting out of this? I don't know. But so he's going on his little uh, cry, cry baby fest. When Sybil starts gassing him up, she's like, no, you are going to stop him. You deserve better. You're great. You know, we love you, Psycho King. Like, just like, you're the best. And how does he reward this lady who obviously has his back? He's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Go give me a beer. He's rude to her. Fuck you, Hogan. Does not know how to treat a lady, right? That's right. Not like Danton does. <laughs> well, and then where is Danton? He suddenly pops out of uh, the darkness, right, of the night. Yeah, enters stage left from the side. Yeah, he was probably listening to that whole thing. And he grabs uh, Hogan by the mouth. And, he, you know, he's got a knife or whatever. And he gives Hogan a warning. Yeah, he, he basically says, uh, hey, stop pursuing me, all right? I'm going to go home. You're going to tell your men to stand down. You're going to leave me alone or else I'm going to murder you all. And he even says, he was like, you made me the best. I still am, which is an awesome thing in a script. But if you were still the best, I feel like a real killer would have been killing right around here. I feel like there would be no talk. I'll kill uh, from a trained killer, uh, such as he says he is. Yeah. When Sybil came back with the beer, it's actually just she's been skinned and her suit is being worn by Danton. When he drinks the beer, he realizes it's his own heart inside the beer bottle. Uh, Hogan's heart. I think he followed along. And so when Danton makes his leave, Hogan goes, Danton! David, this scream is heartbreak. There's no other way to describe the emotion in it other than Danton has broken the heart of Hogan. Because that, I cannot tell if the love that is being not returned to Hogan, is it a romantic love or is it more just like you are, in my mind, you're my son. I've raised you. And Danton has rejected him, but whatever. I don't. Do you have a take on that? I I think all of it, really. I you're you're right on. I think if you were to look up the word anguish in the audio dictionary, it would play this clip of the Danton yell because it really is like, man, I raised him. He is my son, and, and now he's he's turning his back on the family business. But he's also like a, a boyfriend to me, and I really just want to feel his heat and and, uh, and celebrate our strengths. So yeah, there's a lot of conflict there. Yeah, in, in case you don't want to watch this movie, uh, imagine William Shatner is, is, is Captain Kirk yelling out Khan, like Khan! But imagine instead of Khan uh, murdering his son, is that what he did in the movie? Sure. I don't remember. Uh, he Khan just um, didn't call him back after they fucked. Like that's the emotion. <laughs> But anyway, Danton, right, he's the best there is. And he lets everyone in the goddamn world sneak up on him, including who? Including some hillbillies the next morning. So after uh, after Danton you know, has this conversation with Hogan, cut to the next morning, some hillbillies just kind of like poking and prodding it at Danton sleeping on the ground. And they're like, hey, you better get out of here, city boy, if you know what's good for you. And that's really it. That's the only, uh, that's the extent of them and that scene. And Mac, what did you think of this? Well, it definitely, <laughs> I don't think these people were flown in from the back hills of Kentucky. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think these were like some, the grip department in this movie. They're like, hey, can you try a Southern hillbilly accent? Like, we can maybe do it. And one of them is wearing like a kind of a trucker hat is what you might call it. The other one is wearing this like a, adorable straw hat that's the only word for it it's just cute it's like he was gonna play scarecrow in a high school production of wizard of oz it just it was just too cute so they so they chase danton away and they're like oh that boy is crazy and they pick up uh, his you know, rat carcass and they're like it uh, looks like this boy has been eating rats 
And so the other guy says, boy, well, of course, those city folk will eat anything. And I'm like, hey, man, those are our prejudices for you. You don't get to do that to us. <laughs> we think down on you, country boy, you'll eat anything. I, I thought that was very unfair. Yeah, you're the ones who eat squirrels. We'll only eat rats if uh, Gwyneth Paltrow tells us it's smart to do it. So then the hillbillies run into Hogan and the gang. Now, here's the thing. So last night, myself and my feral wife were watching the movie Barbarian. And one of the characters in that movie, that's spoiling it, makes some decisions that you and I probably would not make. And we were kind of talking. It's like, well, this character does not know they're in a horror movie, right? They do not know that they're only 30 minutes in the horror movie and they're probably going to go through some shit, right? It's not, they're not walking. They're like, oh, the exit door. These hillbillies do not know they're in an action movie. So <laughs> when Hogan's men kill the first hillbilly, and then the second hillbilly's like, oh, I'll answer your questions. I'll be more agreeable. No, stupid. They're going to kill you too. <laughs> he's, uh, he's like, answer my question. He's like, all right, I did. And he's like, then he just shoots the second hillbilly in the gut. Who was holding a gun? You know what I mean? Yeah. At least try to lift that gun up or something, but he doesn't. And I think he also gets shot in the gut. So another slow death for these hillbillies. So the, the hillbillies are killed by Hogan's men, and then uh, they chase after Danton some more. But then Danton has the high ground, and he kills uh, more of Hogan's men with a rock slide. Or does he? Because, look, and even the trivia in IMDb pointed this out. Someone was like, um, those rocks are a little too square to be rocks. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. It's a movie. Relax. But at the same time, it's not a very impressive rock slide to the point where it feels like guys are like leaning into it or like, you know, charging at the rocks. It's almost like they just want workman's comp. Like we didn't quite kill them. There's no body count here. They just want disability for a few weeks. No, these rocks were totally like a neighbor was digging a pool and they had some extra limestone left over. And so some dude's like, oh, I'll take this limestone and I'll slowly build a fence here. And he got like six pieces or something because it's they're out in the middle of nowhere, you know, or whatever. And so he pushes over, yeah, some real, like, makeshift. I mean, honestly, look, they're not rocks in real life. The way those things no. rolled down, I was like, oh, those are made of styrofoam. One really caught air at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think there was a bike ramp that one went off of. Then it's uh, it's Danton v. Thornton. It's the, the, the showdown for the ages. Finally, uh, the two muscle guys meet and fight. The uh, unstoppable force, immovable object, or so we would like to think, so for, for supposedly being the best, Thornton really beats the crap out of Danton. Like, Danton's not quite as good as he makes himself out to be. Like, Thornton makes really quick work of Danton. He uh, hands him his ass real fast. But thankfully, uh, Hogan steps in at the last moment because uh, Thornton's getting ready to kill Danton. And Hogan's like, no, 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 we want him alive. I, I want to I talk to Danton real quick. So yeah, <laughs> so this movie gets to keep going. Uh, we get to keep Danton alive. So they go back to the tent. Hogan now tries to recruit Danton. That's right. He's, uh, Hogan's got Danton tied up. He's kind of giving him the spiel, trying to sell him on this, you know, this mercenary group. He even says, uh, you know, because Dan at one point is like, what happened to you? You were like one of the most decorated officers in all of the military. And Hogan says, well, that was their army. This is mine. Keep in mind, Colonel Hogan is saying this. If this is his army, why is he only still a colonel? You know, he... <laughs> I guess Michael Sim is like, uh, his boss is like, all right, you're super colonel now or something. So Sybil is is in there too. And she's like hitting Danton in the face. And I don't know if it's here or somewhere else, but I think Danton calls her a bitch. Uh, whoever wrote this script needs to learn some different words for a lady because anytime a dude has to talk down to a lady, it's like, bitch, you're bitch, you're bitch, 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 bitch. 
it kind of gets on me a little bit. I got to be honest with you. That that bothered me. I get that for sure. But uh, Sybil hits. Oh, this is on her way out, right? Just like one more parting punch. So Sybil goes, kiss this and punches Danton in the face. And again, the Foley artist here, after that amazing fall, just really took the rest of the movie off. Because the sound her punch made, it's like you open up a Snapple bottle, David, and there's a little pop sound of the lid. That was like, that's the sound of her clocking him square in the jaw. Yeah, they're really, they're really kind of no-selling her. Like, she's got no strength, so it just makes a little Snapple pop. But now that Dan's not going to join, it's up to Thornton to tune him up a little bit, right? Thornton's putting on the gloves. He's got the le- he's th- throwing on the leathers, and he walks back into the tent to, t- to tune him up. Uh, all the while, Jamie's father is sneaking onto the base, and nobody's stopping him. I feel really great about these uh, special forces. If old Panama Jack can get the better of them, good for him. Yeah, he's uh, Jamie's dad. He's still got some moves. He's definitely been working out at the local Y, probably murdering some single men there. Uh, because he's still definitely got some murder skills. So he makes his way onto the base, just in time for Hogan versus Michelson 2. And it's pretty much a repeat of Hogan versus Michelson 1. So basically, Michelson comes back and he's like, uh, Hogan's like, hey, weren't you just here yesterday? We we had this full conversation. And Michelson is suddenly like, this is too far. You're out of control now. It's like, what has happened in the course of 24 hours that you're back here to tell me the uh, sudden change of plans? And it really feels like it's only there for Jamie's father to lean comfortably against a truck and listen in on all of this. Yeah, and Michelson was clearly watching some of the dailies because he knows now. He's like, cut this damn guy loose. This is, you guys are cuckoo bananas here. I want an elite killing squad, not an elite killing squad. Hold on, wait a second. Hold on, this doesn't make sense anymore. This seems contrary to my earlier scene. <laughs> but anyway, Danton breaks through the ropes, which were maybe cut by somebody. Burp, and he gets to hit Sybil. Is it a fight? No, he's just hitting her. No, he says, fuck you, you bitch, and then punches her dead. There we go. Yeah. Well, she's not dead because he's got to kill her later. Ah, right you are. <laughs> uh, so that- Dave, were you? It sounded like, ah, right you are. That sounds like you. I was right about uh, the notes that the wine you're drinking. <laughs> oh, right you are. I do taste that oak. Yeah, so he uh, smacks it around a little. And then uh, Danton gets to steal the complimentary hand grenades that were on top of Hogan's desk. Because at the very beginning of the movie, you, the first time you see uh, Hogan's desk, there's like this little like display stand of about a dozen grenades. So he helps himself to a few. Blows up a person, blows up a tank, blows up a helicopter. Really laying waste. Two markout moments for me back to back. This is going to be five and six for me. The first one is when Dan's got a grenade, drops it down one of the mercenary's pants. That's funny in itself. I'm always a sucker for a good grenade down the pants. But when the guy explodes, he blows up, and then you cut back to just a smoking pair of boots. And that's all I really want out of a movie like this is like, yeah, if you're going to kill somebody, like really Bugs Bunny the shit out of this thing. Smoking boots, that's fine. Soot to the face, an outline cut out of the wall. Let's go with all of this. And then there's a moment where it's Danton versus the helicopter. He's got a gun and he's, he's firing away and he gets the best of the helicopter. He blows it up. And the low rent quality of the edit job where it's like there's a, a shot of a helicopter and now we cut right to an explosion from somewhere. I loved it. I, uh, just from a movie making standpoint. I didn't even get that the helicopter blew up. So I, I guess you're right. It was pretty, pretty low rent. But so the word gets around the base that Danton is loose, right? And so Hogan's like, we can't let him escape. Let's move out. Move out. He's there at the base. Like everyone's like scrambling to drive away. 
And then I guess Dan's like, well, if they're going to chase me, I guess I should run first. And then cut to him again, shirtless, wearing jorts, barefoot, holding a gun. It looks like a really fast baby just running away with a gun. It's a, it's not, not, it's not, not funny. It's not, 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 not funny. Figure that out. More pursuit through the woods. It's kind of just, we're, we're getting to more of the same with this movie. It, it feels repetitive after a while, the more you're in the woods. So normally when we've been doing these things, uh, I'll, I'll give the action scene some names. I'll be like, all right, here's the action scene one or whatever. The, this whole movie is kind of just one big action scene and they're not extremely distinct. And so I haven't really been, I kind of gave up trying to give them names because, you know, like he'll murder three dudes and then we'll listen to Michaelson talk for a while. Then we'll go back and it's like, oh, we're, we're still murdering dudes. It, things just seem to drag a little bit in this movie. For sure. So in this edition of Through the Woods, Cooper saves Danton from being killed. At one point, Danton gets uh, gets cornered. Uh, then Cooper comes in and saves the day, lets him go. They're even now. They've they've saved each other's lives, but next time it'll be different. Yeah, because Cooper goes, you saved my life back in Nam. Okay, so the fall of Saigon, which was the end of the U.S. involvement, I think, was in 1975. This movie was in 87. Ted Pryor would have been born in 1959, 14 years old at the fall of Saigon. So this movie <laughs> raises an excellent point, David, that you know, a lot of when they tell stories about Vietnam gets left out that that war was mostly fought by uh, middle school kids. That's right, yeah. So it's very brave of this movie to shine a light on that. At some point, Danton kills a bunch of dudes in one of his Ewok hut hidey holes. And then when he's leaving the hidey hole, he kind of throws down the gun. And he has a real like, no more killing energy. But then <laughs> some guy comes out with a gun. He's like, oh, back to killing like real quick. But yeah, Cooper let Danton go. And so then he encounters uh, his mercenary boys and they're like, hey, where's, what happened to Danton? Cooper's like, oh, he got away. Not, I didn't help him. Uh, But just one look at those pale, (laughs) pale, those pale black sunglasses of of Thornton. You know, he's not buying Cooper's bullshit. Thornton can see right through Cooper's lying soul. He knows what's up. Yeah, he he he's un, he understands what's going on here. But who cares? Because Danton's on his way home. Tra la la. The seventy-five miles bit northwest back to LA. I think he sprinted it. Do you? How do you think he got home? Um, I'm gonna say he uh, he stole a bike uh, with like tassels and streamers or whatever on the side, and uh, just had a fun little day of it. Okay, that that makes sense. So they all find out that uh, Danton split. They being Hogan and Thornton and all them. Until Thornton realizes, well, I mean, I picked him up at his home. We have his address. Should I go back to his home and meet him there? And Hogan's like, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. So back to the house they go. Then we cut to Michelson, right? He's driving, and he comes across just a body lying on the ground. Now, David, if I saw a body lying on the ground, I would just keep on moving. There's no way I'm helping that body. No way. Don't get involved. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not helping. A, I'm not Tom Cruise. I'm not helping nobody. <laughs> However, Michelson, not that bad of a dude, stops to be like, hey, what's going on? But that's no dead body or that's no injured person, David. It's Jamie's father faking him out. And he's, he pulls a gun on him. It was a trap. He somehow knew Michelson was a sucker for the old, oh, looks like there's a body uh, helping a body in the middle of the road trick. <laughs> Michelson's like, what the fuck? What is this? Or whatever. And then Jamie's father delivers a little monologue here. And David, uh, I'll put some music behind it. Uh, would you mind reading this, uh, doing a a dramatic interpretation of Jamie's father's, uh, as only you can. You bet. Here I go. Who am I? A little man who spent 27 years of his life as a cop, trying to put big shots like you away. 27 years in the filth and the dirt of the street. And there ain't no music down there. 
You watch the people in the streets killing, raping each other, pumping dope through their veins while big men like you sit in the fancy penthouses. And yet the poor slobs rot in hell. I know about you, as long as it puts money in your pocket. Today the nobodies who made you rich are gonna win. Die, you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, there's no music down there. I feel like this he should have been the protagonist of this movie. You know what I mean? This feel I I absolutely do. This feels like they brought in Cormac McCarthy for punch up and they're like, <laughs> go grim, baby. And sure enough, but that's the only taste we get, and the rest of it's just schmaltz. It's just this really not good movie surrounded by this like Oscar grab on Cameron Mitchell's part. Yeah, so this is another mark out moment for me because he shoots him, right? Uh, Michelson in the stomach. But then when Michelson is on the ground, he shoots him again. <laughs> One <laughs> shot to send him to hell, a second shot to be sure he ain't coming back. That I thought that was fucking intense out of nowhere. So that was definitely a mark out moment for me. But here's the thing. So, uh, uh, you know, Hogan sends his crew to Danton's house, but Dan's not there yet, but Jamie is. And even though her dad told her to lock the doors, that should have protected her from anything short of a nuclear bomb. It doesn't work because Thornton steals Jamie right out of the house and brings her back to Hogan, who then sexually assaults her. No, thank you, movie. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no thanks. This is just uh, lazy writing, really shitty. Um, do better, guys. Because Hogan, uh, Hogan's like, uh, you know, we're coming for your husband. And Jamie says, he'll kill you. So Jamie clearly knows something about her husband. He wasn't just a mild-mannered, super buff speaker salesman. Like She knew that this dude was an unstoppable killing machine. But then we have this really unnecessary assault. I got to say, at that moment, I was like, oh, I'm just watching this movie tumble down the mountain. Yeah. Because the action gods do not care for unnecessary sexual assault. That's, that's a shame. Yeah. I mean, it's not a shame. I, I, I completely support the mountain's decision on this one. Um, it's a shame that this movie, like, as flimsy as this script is, it's only 87 minutes. You have to pad it with this. Like, it's such a bummer. So then we see the Jamie's father, right? He's still making his way. Now he's he's re-snuck back onto the base. And as he approaches, he, he comes across a mercenary. And Jamie's father goes, friend or foe? And then the mercenary goes, friend. And then Jamie's father goes, you're a liar, and shoots him, which, ooh, I feel like this was like a riddle where there's like those two people guarding a door, and one of them lies, one of them tells the truth. They're like, ship of Theseus. Like, is this a thought experiment? Like, how do you win that one? You know what I mean? With a gun. That's how you win oh, that one. That yeah. opens all the doors. Seriously, it's it's shoot first, but answer the question firster? No, that's not the, I don't think that's it. So we head back. Danton makes his way home, stomps his feet off in the mudroom. But wait a second, Sybil is there waiting for him, uh, sitting by the phone. And the phone rings and she says, it's for you. Of course it is. Yeah, no shit. I live here. But then she hands him the phone and sure enough, it's it's Hogan <laughs> saying, please come back. Uh, we still have more movie to yeah, make. Yeah, why? Isn't, so what is the point here? They want to kill Danton or they want to kill him? At their base, why not just have Sybil shoot him? See, this is where I think the lover's quarrel aspect of of Hogan's dynamic comes in. Because this really feels like a jilted lover. Like, you've chosen this life over the life I've given you of, of killing people for fun and sport. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a jealous, jilted lover. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal the thing you love so that maybe you'll love me. It, there's really, there's a lot more than this movie wants to going on. Yeah, so you are almost saying, at this point, it's personal. 
Oh, absolutely. It's far beyond professional decisions. It's all personal now. So Danton realizes he's he's got to go back, right? Well, first first you got to kill Sybil. Uh, it catches her completely off guard. Here's the thing: is that whenever uh, women are hit in this movie, they're never fighting. It's never like she got in a blow and now he punches her. It's always just like either beating them when they're not fighting or killing them when they're unarmed, which you would call an execution. And so he he gets the better best of uh, Sybil, and then Danton shoots Sybil, right? Oh, my God. Four to the face. We've already established this dude has the one-punch knockout skill, but he decides to kill Sybil, which at this point in my notes, I wrote, this guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know if I'm rooting for Danny. I don't. I'm no longer rooting for this movie. I gotta say at this point. I, I get I gotta, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a toothpaste taste in my mouth, and this, even though this movie is delicious orange juice, it's not mixing well. Dan tries tries his best to wrap this movie up. He heads uh, to his uh, arsenal shed that uh, every bad guy has, and gears up for the final battle. Yeah, all retired action murderers, David. They have that stash of weapons, right? John Wick had to dig his out of a finished basement. He's just got like a uh, crusty old locker where you see all his weapons, including a time bomb, sticks of red dynamite tied to a timer. And you're like, oh my goodness, they'll definitely use that later in the movie. They sure don't. No, I f- well, because we never see the Roadrunner. We never try to capture him. That's why we never use those uh, Acme brand dynamites. But David, this whole time we've been seeing Danton, right? He He was freshly kidnapped. He didn't have any time to prepare. And so when we're seeing Danton kill dudes uh, wearing just jorts, that was not his decision. But now- He's got time to gear up. He's going to, here we go, with like a GI glow up. And what does he, he still chooses no shirt. No shirt, a little bit of a kink harness, and then some camo face paint on just his face. So now people will be like, whoa, what is that muscular torso with no head standing in the woods for? Mac, I, I got to tell you, if I looked like Ted Pryor did, I would dress like that for job interviews. I would be wearing that all the time. I mean, at this point, it's like, just have your dick out. I mean, really, that's got to... So so Danton's getting the getting the the woods ready uh, for a final battle. He's sharpening sticks. Uh, I guess he didn't have any pre-sharpened sticks at home. And then uh, here comes Cooper. Yeah, sneaks up on him again because everyone sneaks up on other people. And I, I think when I saw this out loud, I go, "God, what now, Cooper?" And then Dan goes, "What now, Cooper?" <laughs> Whatever. I was like, "Oh, like we're on, this movie is we're on the same page now." Which is the fuck does this dude want? So Cooper finally is like. I'm I'm switching sides. I'm officially a good guy. Yeah, this is his face turn. It's sort of uh, reluctant because he's like, I don't like what they're doing, but also you're going to kill them all. I'd rather be on the winning team. I know how my bread is buttered here. Let's do this. And then they do like kind of a, a mid five, not a high five, like that sort of mid five where it looks like they're about to arm wrestle, but they don't, which you would call a muscle dude handshake, which it's basically the same muscle dude greeting that Carl Weathers and Schwarzenegger give each other in Predator, which also came out in 87. What was going on in 87? You're the handshake. Like muscle, yeah, muscle dude's got a muscle, I guess. Well, Time Magazine named the handshake uh, person of the year that year. Uh, oh, that's right. The bicep shake. Had a real moment back in 87. So uh, so Danton and Cooper began uh, killing their way through the camp to rescue Jamie. There's a moment where uh, where Danton is cornered again. Somebody, uh, some uh, marks sneak up on him, but thankfully he's got pocket knives and throws them all. Uh, I, I'm always a sucker for pocket knives, so I did like that. Now, there's a scene. It's kind of buns me out a little bit because there's two guys standing sentry outside of the tent where Jamie's being held hostage. And these dudes, like, they're tense, right? They're gripping their rifles. Cooper walks up and they go, Cooper, what's up, man? And they're, like, so happy to see their bro Cooper, who has known them for a fucking day. 
And the fact that they're all like so into Cooper, it's like, oh man, Cooper's cool. You can tell just Cooper's got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're super jazzed that Cooper's hanging out with them, but he always, he's not really hanging out with them. He's just distracting them so he can murder them. Yeah, it's a little disappointing. Like you make friends, you know, it's hard to, to make friends at a new school. And sure enough, everybody's gravitated toward Cooper, but he's just a turncoat. Uh, he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna kill them all, including one guy. He like knocks to the ground, knocks him out, and so Cooper puts uh, pulls the pin on a grenade, slips the live grenade under the guy's head, so that when the guy gets up, he'll still like see the pin on his finger and be like, "There's a grenade here," and sits up and and, uh, and the detonates the grenade, I guess. Yeah, I don't know what that part of the grenade, like the trigger or something, that you have to like let go of to activate the grenade, but by putting the guy's head on it, that that will not activate until he moves his head. Yeah. Which doesn't happen until Danton, Cooper, and Jamie are like farther along in the forest. And so they hear the explosion and Dan goes, what was that? And Cooper goes, it's my calling card. For what? Like, (laughs) oh, explosions. This is the guy I need to hire. Like, it's such a silly thing. Is that his classic move where like as soon as the guy got knocked out, he's like, oh, Slick, I get to do my sweet-ass Cooper move where I make a sleeping guy blow himself up when he wakes up. But then you have to think, like, are there moments when he doesn't quite get to execute it? Like when you're watching wrestling and someone tries to do their finisher and the like, the other guy kicks out of their finisher. It's like, um, sit still. I'm trying to put the grenade under your head. Yeah, he's trying to put the grenade under his head, but the <laughs> the release comes out. He's like, oh, shit, we got to kill I didn't quite do it. <laughs> so after, you know, they rescue Jamie, now you think, like, okay – his wife's already been through something terrible. You'd think his only priority at this point would be to get her to safety. But no, David, he's a soldier now with a mission. And nothing's more important to a soldier than their mission, according to Deadly Prey. And his mission now is to take out Hogan, because he made him a promise, Anton Chigurh style, where he's like, I'm going to kill you, and he's got to fucking kill him. So he leaves Jamie to hide. He already left her to hide, or dad left her to hide in the house with locked doors. So if we do reverse of the three little pigs... I think Straw is next yes. after Bricks. So now he's leaving her in the, one of the grass Ewok huts. He's like, just stay here. Don't move. Don't make a sound. Just act like a piece of grass. You'll be fine. I got to go murder some more people. And so he does. You know, it's there's cool kills. You know, one guy gets a spear to the throat. One guy gets like a rope, pulls him up by his ankles, and then he gets, he gets swung into uh, into a bank of spears. These are all fun, but like we like we just talked about in the last sequence, really, when minute 70 feels a lot like minute 20 and you have no real sense of where you are in this movie, the movie suffers uh, with stuff like that. So, like, I mean, I'm still enjoying this stuff, but, like, at this point, who fucking – it's an 87-minute movie and I'm already looking at my watch and there's, like, 10 minutes left in this thing. Yeah. I mean, kudos to them for pulling off all these things on, you know, a, a shoebox full of singles as their budget. There's, there's not story. There's not 87 minutes of story here. One group of mercenaries includes one of the gentlemen, one of the recruits we saw at the beginning, who said he was here for the money. The money guy watches two of his mercenary pals get taken out by tripwires, like two tripwires in a row. This guy, you'd think he'd be like, oh man, I'm in this for the money. Money can't be that good, right? But no, he does not hesitate to continue on with the mission, which makes me think the money might be pretty good. (laughs) Are these mercenaries getting paid six figures for this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, this might be all right. But that guy, who I will call mustache, a tiger gate or whatever, you know, uh, one of those little traps with some spikes swings out of him. But this dude knows what's up. He catches it, right? Yeah, he catches it. And you're like, oh, that's pretty badass. But guess what? That little tiger trap pulled the pin on another grenade. This is my seventh mark out moment. 
<laughs> when when it pulls the grenade, it's like, cause yeah, that that moment of like the bad guy thinks, ha ha, I'm more clever than this thing. Uh oh, just that turn. I, I I love it so much. Mark out moment number seven for me. Yeah, because Dan, he's one step ahead, right? He's like, oh, at this point, they'll figure out that there are traps. But what they they won't figure out is a secondary trap. Something I figured out though at this moment is like, why is there, why is this kind of not so great? The thing is, is like there's a lot of shooting at each other, but this movie does not care about that. Like all the cool kills are like knives or spears or whatever, because no one can hit shit with a gun. In fact, at some point, there's a group of mercenaries and Danton pops out and he is just action hero posing, right? He's like literally shooting from the hip, which if you take that expression back to its meaning, means you're not really thinking where you're firing. You're not really aiming. <laughs> But he's shooting like down low and he's like, yeah, he's like yelling, right? And it's just like you're posing for the cover of this fucking movie, but he doesn't hit anything. Like it's really embarrassing, right? It's like going up for a dunk, rimming out. Like it just, it's like, oh, you've got to, if you're going to do that cover of a Predator movie box pose, you need to kill some people. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the exact opposite of a movie like John Wick, where John Wick is a trained professional killer his batting average is going to be high. If he's shooting 10 shots, he's going to hit 11 people with him. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So for this guy to shoot hundreds and hundreds of rounds and not hit the broadside of a barn again, it really kind of undersells what you th- what you think you're putting out there as far as like the most dangerous man in the world. It's kind of indicative of like the 80s action hero, which was kind of like the commando, like the person who's going to shoot at you a bunch. He's not going to like make the amazing shot or something like that. He's just going to basically overkill you. But he doesn't, didn't really, doesn't even do that or whatever. So Jamie is hiding in her grass hut and Thornton finds her. God damn it. Jamie's got some bad luck and he's using her to lure Danton. In fact, when he approaches Hogan, he's like, got a Christmas present for you. So Hogan grabs Jamie and he's like, you know, uh, Dan, no, I want you out here. But then here comes Cooper. Cooper takes the tough shot and like shoots Hogan while he's holding on to Jamie and I'm pretty sure Danton wouldn't have signed off on that. Like, if he knew the stakes that he was putting Jamie, the danger he was putting Jamie in, never would have happened. Yeah, Cooper definitely is like, you know, it's like, throw your gun down or I'll kill her. Dan definitely would have been like, all right, I'm throwing my gun down. Where Cooper's like, I like those odds. And he <laughs> he actually, but here you go. He can, unlike Dan, he has a good shot. And for the second time, he he makes a good shot and he shoots he shoots Hogan down. He shot him kind of like in the chest, upper, lower, like between shoulder and peck, I yeah, think. Yeah, the, the breast part. I don't know, somewhere up here. Initially, I was like, okay, here we go. He's going to get killed here, right? He has a line where he yells at Cooper. He's like, go ahead and kill me, traitor. Traitor to what? You're a mercenary group. There's He has no affiliation to any of this. But uh, right as he's getting ready to kill Hogan, here comes Thornton, who shoots Cooper, I believe in the dick. Matt, can you confirm or deny this for me? Oh, you know, that makes sense. I sh- I thought he got shot in the leg. Okay. But it's funny because when he got shot in the leg, I was like, oh, that was a real painful bullet because he doesn't fall down, does kind of a machine gun shimmy in place. Like he just kind of shakes in place. I was like, oh, that was a real painful thing. Him getting shot in the dick would actually explain that. So then Thornton <laughs> finishes off Cooper and takes Jamie off to do some more bad guy stuff. Our hero Danton comes across Cooper's body just long enough to like for Cooper to be like, Ugh, and then die. Danton gives Cooper a battlefield burial, which is to say he doesn't bury him. He just jumps over him to keep fighting. So then uh, Thornton uh, kills Jamie. Yeah, is Dan going to get there in time to save Jamie? Yeah, he sure does not. And Thornton straight up executes her. Again, there's no fight. 
He just throws her to the ground and shoots her in the fucking head. Boo. Yeah, knocks her to the ground, shoots her point blank. Uh, you're absolutely right. Like, there's something about this shot that felt particularly cruel. Like, I'm with you all the way as far as, like, the treatment of women in this movie. But just this, like, point blank, really, it, it left a bad taste in my mouth. The only reason this movie does stuff like that, does, you know, brutality towards women, is to set up the payoff of the, of the fight. And in this moment, I'm, I'm going to have to kind of offer faint praise here. This is a mark-out moment. Because Danton gets the best of Thornton finally. He he, cha- he runs after him with a machete, chops his goddamn arm off, and then starts to beat Thornton with his own arm. You know, and that's an awesome moment for me, enjoying, uh, enjoying one-armed beatdowns. But also knowing you only think you earned this because you shot Jamie in the face. So there, there's a little uh, bit of a qualifier there. Yeah, they basically had to fridge Jamie in order to give Danton the, the permission to go into game six mode. And I got to stop using that phrase. um, Yeah, he does rip off Thornton's arm, which was pretty cool, and then beats him to death with it. Again, the no blood shooting out of this arm. And the sound effect they went for was kind of like a squish as if blood was shooting out. Uh And so he does beat him to death. Again, I was so like, kind of bad taste in my mouth after Jamie's death that I didn't quite mark out. I feel like if Jamie had not been executed that way, I might have marked out here because look, a guy getting beaten to death with his own arm is pretty great. Yeah. Dan is so fucking mad still, even after he kills Thornton, that he scalps him. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is if you look at his face, he's like, Ugh! it's like he really doesn't want to scalp him. Kind of, it's almost like he's being like, gross, 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 gross. <laughs> you didn't have to, dude. Like, no one is saying scalp him. Yeah. No one is asking you to. It's really just, it's up to you. Yeah, it's the, look what you made me do. Look how monstrous you made me. It's like, no, dude, you're a monster, and now you're you're blaming it on me. And, of course, the scalp that he shows us, the audience, the hair does not match Thornton's hair at all. No. But that's okay. <laughs> but he, he uses this as, like, a, a token, carries the scalp with him, throws it at Hogan's feet, and he's like, this is all that's left of, of your best man. Uh, and Hogan's like, well, uh, uh, nice, nice Dan. So Dan tells him to stand up. Tells him to uh, strip down, take off his his shirt, take off his shoes, and then orders him to run. And that's going to be the end of the movie. So, Mac, let me ask you this. So, you know, so the movie ends with with Danton ordering Hogan to run. He's going to now he the hunter has become the hunted and Danton's going to hunt him for sport. Do you imagine him making quick work of this or do you think he's going to string this out over a series of years and just kind of like pro because I I think the movie killed Jamie to free up Danton's calendar and it's like, okay, now you can do whatever you want. I don't know about it. Years. (laughs) I think if this movie had another five minutes, we would have seen Hogan die. I mean, (laughs) maybe not five minutes, but I feel like that afternoon Hogan's dead. But here's the other thing. Dan is looking at Hogan. He's like, take off your shirt. Just do it. Now, the movie I watched, it really looked like Danton was talking, but there's no audio. His mouth would move, and then like towards the end of it, he'd go, no, run, or something like that. When they were ADRing this thing, they're like, hey, let's get rid of all this other dialogue and just have him say these little short sentences. Great, but then edit out the scenes of him moving his mouth. Did you do you know what I'm talking about? I do, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's very sloppy, and I think the movie kind of felt that like, look, we're toward the end. I'm not cleaning that up. It's fine. It was a real weird ending. Why do you? How do you think? Do you think that here begins a a cat and mouse game for the ages, or do you think Dan is basically getting a truck and then running Hogan down a second he reaches the highway? I know if it's me and my wife is dead and I've got 
all the free time in the world, I'm making this thing last pretty much the rest of my life. There's going to be dips. There's going to be peaks and valleys where like there's going to be months where this guy thinks I'm not chasing him anymore than suddenly here I am. It just goes on forever in my estimation. Interesting, Dave, because if it was me, I wouldn't have let my wife be murdered. Maybe learn how to be a better action hero. Oh, God, you're right. Teresa! (laughs) What are the, Sheila, what are the, um, what's the tally here? How many markout moments did you have, Dave? I had eight. I had a, this is a personal best for me. I had eight markout moments. Uh, How about you? I had a respectable three. Okay, wow. No, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, I'm good with three. Now, David, I have to ask you. An important question. Is this, do you think this is someone's favorite movie? Honestly, probably not. I thought I would have, I thought I would say yes for everything we, we were presented, but this one, no, I don't think so. I think there's a chance that maybe we or someone like us could play matchmaker and find someone who will like this movie, but no, I don't think this is someone's favorite movie. Outside of the cast and the people who made it, I'm going to say no. (laughs) Fair enough. This might be like Ted Pryor's favorite movie or something like that. Or the guy that played the hillbilly, he was like, hey, you guys want to watch Deadly Prey? You know, like when people, friends are over. Yeah. Like, what's Deadly Prey? He's like, oh, we've never heard of it? Well, there's an attractive hillbilly in it. <laughs> All right, David, it's up to us. The ultimate script doctors. Your podcast lions, David. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, let's do some punch-ups. Yeah. What would you do to fix this thing? First things first, be better to women. A lot of this is just lazy writing. A lot of this, a lot of this is just shitty writing. And it hurts the overall quality of the movie. It hurts the overall product. Do better. As far as like, you know, actually fixing the movie, maybe more movie. Does that make sense? Like the script is, you know, it'll blow away in the breeze. It's not very weighty, but like if a better writer gave it more weight, maybe like Jamie's father's backstory, maybe let's delve into that. I mean, he had great lines. Certainly he has more in him than that. I think that would help a lot too, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely write up. A backstory for Hogan, make him more of a tragic character and not just like a, a, a meatball, uh, like a giant ball of meat. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You definitely could add more story to it. Uh, I think also, you know, let's throw some money at this and, and let's do a remake of this, but recast it. I, I think, you know, if, if this guy looks like Christian Bale, let's make it Christian Bale. If Cameron Mitchell has a real Brian Cox vibe to him, let's make that Brian Cox. Like, uh, I'd like to see some actors really chew this thing. My punch-ups would be obviously like I didn't need that sexual assault and I don't need any time you talk to a woman to call her a bitch. But also Jamie, right? She's the daughter of a cop. She's the wife of a soldier. She's in pretty good shape. I bet this lady kicks ass, right? Instead of just making her a damsel in distress, make her a problem for the bad guys. Like give her some training. You know, maybe she was kicked out of an elite jazzercise unit making a dude plank to death, right? Or something like that. I don't think, do they do planks in jazzercise? Well, only a time machine can tell you that. But yeah, I'd say turn, make, give Jamie some fucking agency, turn her into another weapon here. Or maybe she lives, I don't know. She has to avenge his death. She lives, he doesn't. I don't know, deadly is probably too. I don't know, I don't know. I would fix this. And then obviously, of course, Jamie's father. We need, we need more of him in this movie, for sure. <laughs> for sure. All right, David, if you wouldn't mind coming with me into um, the Punch Mountain Video Store here. Oh, yes, of course. So, David, here at the uh, Punch Mountain Video Store, the all-action movie video store, we our budget's pretty high. We splurged for three copies of Deadly Prey. You know, of course, not available on Ultra HD as our standard format, but um, what category, what subcategories? Because, again, this is an all-action video store. So what would be the categories you would stock this movie in? Okay, so uh, my first copy is going to a, into a category called uh, direct-to-video action. I feel like this is one of the uh, uh, 
one of the premier efforts of the genre of direct-to-video action, uh, even with all of its problems, as we'll learn uh, from other action movies that are direct-to-video. Uh, another copy is going in employee picks. I, I think this, I think my enthusiasm for this movie kind of belies the quality of the movie. And I think this lends itself more to an employee recommendation more so than like putting it in the in case you missed it or an underrated category. So uh, I'll take ownership of this one. And then the third copy, uh, bargain bin probably like uh, like a cheap sale. Oh, this one's going. Oh, is this one going for sale? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're not even stocking. No, it. <laughs> I'm not. Because I mean, because you know, it's it's sort of twofold. One, you know, I don't want to be too high on this movie to keep a third copy around, but also this movie does deserve to be someone's discovery. So like. Dig it out of the Walmart, $5, you know, that sort of thing. Take it home and be like, oh, this is better than I ever gave it uh, any sort of credit for. Now, with Chappie, when we were doing a test episode, did you stock all three movies or did you stock one and then use the two as like a ninja star? Uh, <laughs> I think I had, I think I used one for a wobbly table, I believe, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. David, do you have any final thoughts before we uh, the mountain reveals to us the, the true ranking of this movie? I, I am giving myself over to the, uh, to the mercy of the mountain. I'm excited to see what it says. Uh, if it's me personally, uh, I'm sliding. I'm sliding this somewhere between Hard Target and The Rock. There's a lot of problems with this movie. There's a lot of issues, but I think there's also some redeemable stuff, some kind of some charming stuff, some uh, some stuff that I'm maybe giving way too much credit for just because of the low budget aspect of it, or just because of the DIY aspect of it. But I, it's not going to surprise me where this thing ends up. I'll just I'll leave it up. David, I don't know if you noticed, but when you were talking there, some rocks fell off the mountain and crushed that uh, Toyota Tercel right there. Oh no. Yeah, that's what that noise was that, uh, you know, we'll edit out of the podcast so people won't even hear it. (laughs) That's good. David, if you turn your eyes mountainward, you will see the position of Deadly Prey, and it falls in between Charlie's Angels 2019 and Chappie. So now it is, (laughs) sorry, any sense that has the word Chappie, I'm probably going to laugh. The current mountain rankings, Raid 2, The Matrix, Hard Target, The Rock, Charlie's Angels 2019, Deadly Prey, and then Chappie. I'm good with it. As, you know, as long as people check out the movie or as long as people give it give it a fair shake or give it a chance this episode's a victory i had a fucking blast talking about it yeah no mission accomplished yeah the fact that this had you know way more markout moments than movies that are above it shows you that you know even in a movie that with a low ranking there's some stuff to love some stuff to definitely condemn but that is the, uh, the, the music there's no music in the streets buddy but there or there's no music down there but there's music on the mountain that's right yeah, that's a horn calling us to action, David, because on this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes, but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. And this month, we are spotlighting Austin Mutual Aid. Austin Mutual Aid is a grassroots organization whose mission is to redistribute supplies, food, and more to those in need. Colder temperatures are upon us now, which is a very dangerous time for the unhoused population of any city and groups like AMA work to keep people safe. Also, for every review we get on iTunes, we'll add $1 to our donation. Up to a certain amount, obviously, just in case any bots out there wanted to bankrupt us. And hey, if there's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air. And if you left a review somewhere else other than iTunes, just let us know and we'll check it out. For more information on Austin Mutual Aid or to donate directly to them, you can visit austinmutualaid.org. Uh, David, I obviously live in Austin, Texas, but if you listeners live elsewhere, I encourage you to seek out your own local groups that are local to your communities for opportunities to donate or volunteer. All right, folks, I think that'll do it for this week. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. 
Mac Blake Comedy is your source for Mac stand-up. MacBlakeComedy.com. Next week, from 1993, directed by Rennie Harlan, it's Cliffhanger. We'll see you next week. Bye.